Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you here this morning, and it's so good to be here. Uh, we were gone for a couple of weeks, and uh, genuinely appreciate your prayers and those of you who thought of us. But I want you to know that even though we were gone seeking warmer climate, uh, we weren't being selfish. You know, our main intention was to bring that good weather back for you. I mean, we had you in mind. So, uh, so the sunshine, the warmer temperatures that you're going to see this next week is because we were praying for you and we brought that back for you. So, but it is really good to be here. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. And I trust that you've already sensed his presence here. I, I, I just felt it from everyone who's had anything to say or to sing that God is in uh, this place in a very special way. And I, and I, I hope that your hearts are open and ready because I believe that God wants to fill us in a, in a very special way today. As you just heard, we're right in the middle of a, a message series entitled, You Asked For It. And one of the subjects that you asked for said you were interested in and wanted to learn a little more about is the subject of spiritual warfare. Or more specifically, the times in our lives when we experience a definite and unmistakable battle between good and evil. And by definition, that's war. That's what warfare is all about. It's open conflict and struggle or a declared hostility between two different forces. Warfare is a declared hostility between two different forces. And you can trace the hostility between good and evil all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's when the warfare was first initiated. And it's all recorded there in the book of Genesis. You can read all about it. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that the devil, or Satan himself, he used the disguise of a crafty serpent to deceive Adam and Eve and to convince them to disobey the commandment or the instruction that God had given them there in the garden. And immediately following that deception, recorded in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God had a few choice words for the devil. Here's what God said to the serpent or to Satan. He said, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and you're going to strike his heel, but he's going to take your head off. That's what God said. Ultimately, the seed of the woman or the offspring of the woman is going to crush your head. And we know that this prophetic passage is a very clear and concise description of the ongoing spiritual warfare or battle between Satan and Jesus himself. And over the years, it played out precisely the way that God predicted or described. And as you know, Jesus went to the cross and on the cross, he suffered miserably. His body took great punishment. Isaiah predicted it in chapter 53. He said that Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities, for our sins. Make no mistake, Satan did some pushing and shoving. 
Exactly what God said he would do. He struck the heel of Jesus. And he attacked him. And did some considerable damage to the physical body of Jesus. I mean, he died on the cross. But what Satan wasn't counting on is what happened three days later. On Resurrection Sunday. When Jesus walked out of that tomb and overcame death, hell, and the grave. Satan wasn't counting on that at all. And it's the book of Colossians, the book in the New Testament that talks about the deity of Christ that tells us that on that third day, Jesus made a public show of Satan triumphing over him. And we are victorious because of what Jesus has done for us. We are more than conquerors. We've been hearing all about that, that this morning. It's what we've been talking about. It's what we've been singing about. However, for the moment... Until the devil is forever silenced, until he's tossed once and for all into the lake of fire, the battle between good and evil rages on. And unfortunately, we, the people of God, are caught right in the middle of it. And it's a real battle. It's a struggle. There is ongoing warfare all the time. And I know that Because in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, Paul compels us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Whose power? Our power? Your pastor or your friend's power? In his power. Paul said, put on the full armor of God. Now, why would we do that? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, against his strategies, against his plans, against his ungodly attacks. This is why we put on the full armor of God. Paul goes on to say, for our struggle or the spiritual battle that we're engaged in, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's not against politics. It's not against your spouse, believe it or not. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil, even in the heavenly realms also known as Satan's headquarters. Please understand, there is ongoing spiritual warfare between the forces of darkness and the people of God. It's legitimate. It's real. And the teaching on spiritual warfare is sound doctrine. You can find it throughout the scripture. Unfortunately, some Christian camps today, they don't believe it. And what they have done is downplayed this whole idea of spiritual warfare, making light and even sport of it, saying that it doesn't even exist. In fact, according to the recent research, four out of ten Christians... Or 40%, 40% of all believers do not believe that the devil is real. They think that the devil is just a symbol of evil and that he really doesn't exist. And here's what I have to say about that. Here's my take on that. If as a believer, uh, you buy into a devil-free world, look out. Look out. And as sobering a statement as that is, I don't make that statement to freak you out or to fill you with fear. Come on. 
we know God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's done everything to break the hold that fear has on us. He's given us power and love and a sound mind. He's given weapons of warfare to us so that we can not only go uh, and, and defend ourselves against the enemy, but also be on the offensive. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says the weapons we fight with, uh, not polish up only, not lay aside and look at from time to time. The weapons that God has given to us that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We're talking about spiritual strongholds now. He's given us these weapons. And that means that the spiritual armor, armor that we have, the weapons of warfare that we have, that God has provided for us, they're essential. They're necessary. They're critical. If we're going to uh, stand firm in the faith, especially when the devil comes knocking on our door, when we sense that evil is around us, we have to be able to employ and use these weapons and the armor that God has given to us. And just so you know, in case you haven't noticed this yet, once you become a Christian, and now I'm talking about making a serious and full commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you surrender your heart to God, you become a target of the enemy. You need to know that. He, he uh, the devil, will download your address into his files. And there are spiritual assignments that are specifically designed to hinder your progress. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to hinder and to discourage and to tempt us, make our lives miserable, and prevent us from making any significant strides in our faith. That's what he's about. He does not want us on fire for God. He doesn't want us getting excited about a worship service and, and making commitments and, and saying that we're going to live for God and we're, we're going to go all in for God. He is always right there to put a stop to that. There is a system in place. It's diabolical. It's, it's extensive. The enemy will target us, each and every one of us. And again, I, I'm not giving you my opinion. These are the truths that you gather when you read through the scripture. In fact, on one occasion during his evangelistic ministry, Paul spoke to the church at Rome and he said, I had every intention of coming to visit you, and I planned that visit over and over again. It was in my heart. I just wanted to see you. I wanted to encourage you and impart some spiritual gift and just love you and minister to you. But, Paul said, Satan hindered me. That's the exact terminology he uses. Satan stopped me from making that visit. And he was relentless in his attempt to sidetrack me or to sideline me. This is a typical strategy or tactic of the devil. He uses it all the time. His intention to impede, to stop, to create difficulties for us and prevent us from making forward progress in God. Now, whenever we talk about spiritual warfare, uh, whenever we uh, try to articulate a message like this, and it's, it's a big subject, it's a lot to it, but whenever I uh, want to try and talk about uh, this important matter, I want something to be very clear. I, I want to try to make this crystal clear this morning. 
there is a huge difference between uh, temptations and trials. I'm going to say that again. There is a big difference between trials of our faith and temptations. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times it gets confusing. People don't really understand this. Oftentimes, tests or trials have the fingerprint of God on them. Doesn't mean that God is responsible for every trial. But oftentimes, the trial that we're facing, the trial of faith, is for our benefit. It's to help us, to perfect us, to make us more mature, to move us in a direction closer to God. That's what a test of faith or a trial of faith will do. Let's say, for instance, you have some anger management issues that you're trying to resolve in your life. And the Spirit of the Lord has convicted you of this. You blew up, you got upset again, you told yourself you'd never do it, but it happened. And so you pray that God would give you more understanding, more patience, that he would help you uh, not become so upset. You know what God will say? I'm here for you. I'll help you with that. And so a short time later, you find yourself in a huge traffic jam or in a grocery line with an extremely slow and talkative cashier. That's God saying, hey, you asked for it, you need it, you want it, I'll help you with it. So trials, they move us toward God sometimes. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, consider it pure joy. Consider it what? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing or the trial of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's a powerful statement right there. Trials get us to the place where we're not lacking spiritually. And I know it doesn't always happen. I know we get discouraged and frustrated at times when we're going through a trial. But spiritual tests and trials benefit us. They help us. They teach us. They get us moving in the right direction. Temptations, on the other hand, do not come from God. Temptations are initiated or originate from the devil. And his intention with temptation is never to move us closer to God. It's always to separate or to divide or move us in a direction away from God. Again, it was James in the very same chapter, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, who said, Blesses the man or blesses the woman who perseveres under trial, because after having stood the test... That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So big reward for standing tall under trial. But James said, when tempted, a totally different matter than being tried, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And where do you think that enticement comes from? You guessed it. Right from the devil himself. That's where the enticements, the temptations, and the seductions come from. 
he, he orchestrates certain things in our lives. He plays on weaknesses. He exploits difficulties in our lives. And sometimes it's not always a big juicy sin like we try, you know, we think about all the time. Sometimes it's fear, it's worry, it's doubt, it's greed, it's selfishness, it's anger, it's bitterness, it's hate. Just enough of it to sideline us or to distract us. And so again, tests and trials are beneficial most of the time. Tests and trials are designed to lead us to God. They help to mature us, help us to be better people. Temptations, on the other hand, are intended for evil. They're intended to separate us from God, to get us moving in the wrong direction. And over the years, this distinction between trials and temptations has helped me determine when the enemy is attacking and when God is trying to get my attention. And that is a very important statement I just made. Some of you guys are like in the zone right now. You're, you're just staring, okay? Uh, yeah. This distinction between trials and temptations, did you understand it? Just nod a little bit. Okay. So, so this, this is very important because what it does is it helps you to know when the enemy is attacking you and you're in spiritual warfare or the, or the Lord is really trying to get your attention. See, when God's trying to get my attention, I don't want to fight against God. I don't want to be in, you know, the struggle with God because I know in the long run, whatever he's attempting to do will benefit me. And I've shared with you some trials that I've had in my health over the years and how God has used that to teach me some things and to perfect some things in me. When God is working in your life, he will bring you to a better place. And even if it's not welcomed and even if it's not desired and even if you don't want it, Still, standing up under a trial, there's a benefit, there's a reward for that. And I want to be able to endure it when it's a test or a trial that's being orchestrated by the Lord. But if it's the devil who's on my case, if he's trying to give me a hard way to go, and he's running me down, then I want to immediately unsheathe the sword. And I want to start doing a little slicing and dicing. Because I don't want the devil hanging around my back door. I know how destructive he is. I know what he's capable of doing. He is a master deceiver and a liar. Say that. The devil is a liar. One more time. The devil is a liar. Check it out. He duped Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. It was sinless. It was a paradise. And he wiggled his way into that, and he deceived Adam and Eve. How much more susceptible are we to his lies when he has the cover of darkness all around him? The devil is evil, and he's good at evil. And he doesn't play fair. And he's the one who instigates the trouble in the first place, and then he can disguise his influence. And if we're not careful and we allow him to dig in his heels and get a foothold in our lives, that's when all the chaos and all the trouble starts. So included in this full armor of God package that God has given to us, these wonderful weapons of warfare that he has instructed us to put on each and every day 
And you can read all about those in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to encourage you to do that. But included in this tremendous package of, of weapons that, that demolished strongholds is a wonderful and powerful little weapon called spiritual discernment. Say that. Spiritual discernment. One more time. Spiritual discernment. With spiritual discernment, we can learn to recognize the signs of spiritual attack. And instead of waiting until we're knee-deep in trouble, we can immediately begin to resist the devil, expose him in our lives, and fight against him, defeating him and overcoming him. See, I I want you to hear that the devil has no power and authority over you. You have the power to defeat him. You have the power to overcome him because of what Jesus has already done. But he is going to try to discourage us. And he's going to try to get us in a position where we are so filled with fear and not knowing who we are in Christ. And so it's important to know that we have this spiritual discernment. And again, it was James. In James chapter 4 and verse 7 who said, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the NIV or the New International Version. The New Living Translation says... Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. (laughs) King James Version says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Most every version that you will read will say something just like that. When you resist the devil, he has to go. When you learn to acknowledge him, to call him out, he has to flee from you. He can't stick around. And so in the time remaining this morning, I want to give you seven signs of a spiritual attack. Seven signs that will help you to know when the devil is trying to run you down and get on your case. And let me just say that after you identify any one of these seven signs, and when you know that it's happening in your life, that's when it's time to move into action. That's when you have to resist the devil. As soon as you begin to discern that it's the enemy coming after you, you have to resist them and then you have to fight against them. You have to put on the full armor of God. And I suggest you prepare yourself with a predetermined spiritual warfare battle plan of your own. You've got to come up with one of these. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. All right, let me give you the seven signs of spiritual attack in random order. Are you ready? Anybody other than the few up here in the front? Are you ready in the back? Yeah, okay. There you go. Spiritual sign number one. Spiritual attack sign number one. Overwhelming feelings of discouragement. Say it again. Overwhelming feelings of discouragement. And by that, I don't mean low-grade bouts of unhappiness. We all have that from time to time. I'm talking about perpetual hopelessness and despair. Everything that you have taking place in your life. That's the way you see it. That's the way you respond to it. And friends, this may very well be the devil's greatest tool and most relentless attack against the people of God. And he does that because life is filled with discouraging circumstances. And even the most blessed people, the most successful people, the most spiritually mature people, they face disappointments and discouragement all the time. Trust me, in this life, you are going to get discouraged. 
Jesus said, trust me, in this life you're going to have trouble. That trouble will include some discouragement. It will happen. But the trick is not staying there. Down in the dumps. Day in and day out. And worse yet, not allowing the devil to convince you to give up or to quit or to simply tread water spiritually. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of Christians are today. The devil has attacked and the devil has worn them down, taken the fight out of them. And basically, all they're doing is surviving. They're in survival mode. They're existing. That's not what God wants for us. And so we have to learn how to recognize this sign of spiritual attack when you find yourself stuck in this discouragement. All right, sign number two, ongoing friction in your relationships, especially your family members and your friends. Now I mean the people that you love. And again, I'm not talking about an occasional uh, disagreement or misunderstanding or if you get in an argument from time to time. That's going to happen. 99.9% of all marriages and all relationships are going to experience this from time to time. What I mean by ongoing friction is when you have a hard time resolving matters and they just continue to go from bad to worse and you just can't seem to get any victory in the problems that you're experiencing. Then you start thinking, maybe I would be better off if this relationship was gone. If I burnt this bridge or if I severed my connection with this person. You know, maybe this is just me, but recently I've been thinking that a good percentage of marriage problems happen when believers don't recognize or realize the all-out assault that the enemy has placed upon marriage. I don't think we understand it. We start fighting with each other, we get in disagreements, and things go from bad to worse, and we don't realize that the enemy is just shelling us. Because the enemy hates marriage. Are you aware of that? He hates godly marriage, and he's not that fond of the family either. And so I think sometimes we just let the enemy riddle us with shell and bullet after bullet, we don't recognize that our relationships are under attack. Okay, uh, number three. You ready? Increased temptations. I mean, I'm talking about a barrage of temptations. And the devil absolutely loves to entice us and to tempt us in areas of our lives where we have experienced some degree of victory. No, you think you got that one covered. You think that one's all set. You know, you've overcome that. You've worked hard at it. And all of a sudden, here comes the enemy back, enticing you and tempting you with the same weakness that you've overcome, you know, years ago. And whenever that happens, whenever I sense that the enemy is bringing temptation after temptation, and, and, and let me just say, temptation is not sin. You know that, right? When you're tempted, that doesn't mean that you've committed a sin, the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted all during his earthly ministry for the entire three and a half years, from the beginning all the way to the end. The enemy kept coming to him, kept enticing him and, and tempting him to sin. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted every single way that we're tempted today. So think about all the temptations that flowed through your mind. They went into Jesus' mind too, but he never buckled, not even one time. 
And so when I get this temptation uh, pattern coming after me, especially in an area that I have some victory or some success, immediately I say to myself, where in the world is this coming from? And as soon as you make that statement, you should have your answer. Because it's coming from the enemy. And the enemy is attacking you with temptation. All right, number four. Apathy or lack of interest toward the spiritual disciplines, including prayer and Bible study and church attendance and giving and serving. We, we sang it today. If you're a, a believer in this place, if you've made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. You're a child of the living God. As a child of God that have bowed your knee at the cross and confessed the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, you have the promise of the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Are, are you getting that? The scripture says it's the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells and resides in our mortal bodies. God is with us. God is near to us. God's inside of us. And so when you lose your appetite for spiritual food or for spiritual matters, when the prayer, give me this day my daily bread, is not a priority, that's a really good indication that the enemy is at work in your life. And that he's trying to put the spirit of apathy or complacency upon you. And so we can always recognize when we, when we have this, this lack of interest for the things of God, we should be interested in God. We should be passionately pursuing God. That's what transformation and change is all about. Jesus said, you, you should know it by your fruit. When there's good fruit, you know that you're a believer. And so when you have an apathy toward the things of God, you should know that you are being attacked by the enemy. All right, number five. Being consumed with worry. Say that, worry. Worry. This is a much different approach or a much different strategy than overwhelming disappointment. Worry will rob you of your peace and your joy. Worry will put you on edge. And it will give you a worst case scenario mindset about everything. Everything you hear, immediately your mind will go negative. You know what the worst or most depressing thing is about worry? It doesn't help. Right. Even the experts in worry. I mean, if you have something that you're worried about and, and you need someone to help you worry, and you call someone who you know is a good worrier, <laughs> it's not going to do you any good. In fact, Jesus said you can't change a single situation with worry. It's not going to help. The only thing worry is going to do is make you sick. It's going to take away your faith. It's going to put you in a place uh, that is hard to receive from God. And it's going to get you sick physically and emotionally. And hot off the press statistics, I mean December 2018, just a couple of months ago, the leading cause of anxiety right now today in our culture, which is an epidemic in our nation, anxiety, is stress and worry. It's not going to help you. And when you feel hit with a, a bunch of worry, you can know that the enemy is on your case. All right, number six, 
being weighed down with guilt. I mean, a guilt that prevents you from coming near to the throne of God. You know, the scripture tells us that we can come boldly before God's throne of grace. I mean, you know, we need God's grace. His grace is sufficient for us in all things. But when you're burdened or when you're weighed down with guilt, it's almost impossible to go to the Lord in prayer. It's nearly impossible to, to receive anything from the throne of grace or, or lift your hands in worship or sing a song because you're so guilt-ridden. Guilt-ridden will move you away from God. Guilt will cause you to hide and to run from God. Now, when we sin or when we miss the mark, we should come under some conviction. I mean, we should be sorry for that. And that conviction should lead us to repentance. But repentance equals freedom. You want to carry the guilt around, you're not going to be free. But if you can repent, if you can say, God, I'm sorry... And, and you can feel uh, under, the, uh, under the conviction of that, the work of God in your life, it will bring some freedom to your life. The, the scripture says that when we confess our sins, when we repent of our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have the choice. Carry around the guilt or be cleansed of it. And God's grace will take away your guilt. All right, finally, number seven, having trouble sleeping. And if you have insomnia, and this is an ongoing problem for you, it's a totally different matter than what I'm talking about. You might want to get some additional help or even seek some medical attention. What I'm talking about is overall when you can basically get a good night of sleep. And so you typically can sleep well at night, but then all of a sudden you start getting up in the middle of the night or you're restless at night or maybe you're having some nightmares. That's a pretty good indication that the enemy is on your case. And when the enemy's messing with my sleep, I get after him. Because at my age, I need to sleep. I want to sleep. And God's word says that he wants to give us rest. It's something that he did on the seventh day of creation is he rested from all of his work and all of his labor. We need the rest. We need to be able to get a good night's sleep and feel at peace. In fact, in Psalm 23, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. God created sheep for basically two reasons, eat and sleep. Sheep are good at that. And there's some things that they do in between. But it's a blessing to be able to get some rest at night. And when that rest or that sleep is being messed with, again, it's a good indication that the enemy is is working against you. All right, seven signs of spiritual attack. Let's review them one more time. Overwhelming feelings of discouragement. Ongoing friction in our relationships. Increased temptations, apathy towards spiritual disciplines, being consumed with worry, being weighed down with guilt, and finally having trouble sleeping. And when you identify one of these signs and you discern that you are under spiritual attack, I mean, when you get to that place where you know the enemy is on your case, 
What do you do next? What are you supposed to do? Well, before I answer that question, and I appreciate the responses, they're, they're, right, they're all right. Before I answer that particular question that I just asked you, I want to ask you another question. How many of you have ever seen the TV program Deal or No Deal? You've seen it years past, and they got a new version of it now. But anyway, in Deal or No Deal, you know, contestants are asked to open cases. And oftentimes, when they select a case, in order to build a little bit of suspense and uh, get people excited and ready and, you know, um, just to kind of move it along a little bit, Howie Mandel will say, we're going to open that case when we come back. <laughs> when we come back. And so if you want to know how to engage the devil in spiritual warfare, and if you want to have the faith to stand strong, we're going to cover that when you come back. Right. And we're going to do that in two weeks. On Sunday, March the 31st, I'm going to talk all about this. I'm going to tell you, okay, what kind of a plan can we get uh, so that we can have a battle plan in place when we feel that we're under attack. Uh, as you heard in the video or saw in the video, uh, next weekend we're having our marriage conference, the Heart of Marriage. Um, Les Morrison's going to be talking on Sunday how to be a better spouse. Uh, if you know anyone who's struggling in their marriage or in their, their engagement, invite them. Or even if they're not struggling, invite them to come out uh, for the service on Sunday. And also, if you haven't signed up for the marriage conference yet, it's free. Why wouldn't you want to take advantage of it? Uh, so uh, you can still do that by going to the website and signing up. But we're going to talk about the second part of this little mini-series on spiritual warfare in two weeks. Okay, let's bow our heads for prayer. Last couple of days after we got back from uh, Florida, Teresa and I have been thinking about this service. We've been spending some time in prayer. We alerted uh, the intercessors and some of the elders, and we asked them to pray specifically for today, not only because we know, uh, we have knowledge of how the enemy is, and there will be backlash whenever we try to expose him or talk about his kingdom. And so, you know, we have to fight against that. But also, what I was hoping is that you would be able to gain a little more spiritual insight than you normally do and actually see into the spirit realm during this service and especially during this message. Does I identified those seven signs of, of being under attack of the enemy that you would be able to say, yeah, that's, that's happening to me and, and this is where I've been and, and maybe this is the reason why I've been so discouraged. So really, we're really praying that it would be more than just a message, that it would actually liberate you. Touch your heart enough and open your eyes to see how the enemy is the source of all evil in our lives, not God. God may test us. God may put us through some trials for our benefit. The devil wants to destroy us. His objective is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said. And if for some reason you would say you're under attack of the enemy, you identified one of those signs, I want you to know it's not because you've done anything wrong. It's not because God's mad at you or because you're out of the will of God. In fact, quite contrary to that, the enemy loves to fight against people 
who are all in with God because he wants to sideline you. He wants to stop your forward progress. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do this week or maybe the next two weeks, check out a few of those scriptures that I shared. As Sean said, you can find them on our website. You can, even if you didn't take any notes, you can go to the scripture and read those places in the Bible where God has given us weapons and armor and discernment and begin to apply that so that we'll be ready in two weeks for a good, practical way, spiritual way, powerful way to fight against the the deeds of darkness. Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place this morning. We thank you, Lord, from the opening video, the welcoming video, Lord, all the way to the end. Your spirit and your presence has been here in such a powerful way for change and transformation. And Lord, I I so appreciate those who were able to receive and open their hearts to your commitment and love for us. Lord, you did a lot to deliver us from fear and from worry and to stop the work of darkness in our lives. You went to the cross and you caused us to be victorious in you. And Lord, we want to walk in that victory. We don't want to just stand in the corner desperately trying to hold some spiritual shield up while the enemy bombards us with every kind of fiery dart. Lord, we want to be able to be strong in the Lord and in your mighty power. And I pray, Lord, that you have moved our church to a new level of understanding when it comes to spiritual warfare. Minister, Lord, as only you can. And give us a sense of anticipation as we come back in two weeks. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for coming today. God bless you. Have a good day. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.